Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's my stance on 9-11? Anti. It was a tragedy. I mean, we lost 19 of our best guys. Huh? That was a joke, obviously. Hello, everyone, and welcome back from the holidays. We're here with our first episode of 2023. So excited to be back, Bex. How are you? I'm good. I'm really, really happy to be back. I feel very energized from the break. I don't know about you, but I did a lot of podcast listening over break. Me too. Um, mostly ours, but but some others. Um, and it was nice. It was nice to just kind of sit back and chill and do some reading and do some listening. Yeah. And I'm feeling very good. Me too. So our first episode for the year is with our dear friend, Michael Showalter, who has written, directed, been an actor, a comedian for many, many years. But the film we're going to focus on today is a film he directed called The Big Sick, which is... I just rewatched it yesterday and it is so, so good. A film that Judd Apatow and Barry Mendel produced and Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, Emily, wrote about their own love story. I'm so excited to kick off with it. Me too. It's one of those movies that has stuck with me over the years. It's just the perfect combination of amazing directing, amazing writing, incredible acting and it has everything it makes you laugh it makes you cry and it sticks with you so I'm very excited to hear Michael tell the story it's actually a movie that I tried to produce (laughs) unsuccessfully (laughs) um, but it sort of has that quality of having impactful story and something that can sort of possibly change hearts and minds but also being incredibly funny and entertaining which is sort of the perfect package for films by our standards so uh let's get going mike first before we begin any goss how are you doing always goss always goss how's it going going good finished uh the anne hathaway movie at the end of December and then went on vacation, which was great. And now I'm back in LA editing the movie and going to Toronto. I'm doing that pilot. Oh my God, Mike. Then I'm going to London for a week to do some additional shooting for uh, the Anne Hathaway movie. Are you just dead right now? No, no, not at all. Not even a little bit. I love it. Being crazy busy is my natural state. I've been interviewing a lot of producers, but a lot of also filmmakers. And so from your perspective, my bestie and my love, Michael Showalter, I want you to take us through the big sick and how it first came to you and how it all came together from your perspective. So what's your first memory? First memory is that Kumail Nanjiani, who obviously was the star and the co-writer of the screenplay, um, of the film sent me a draft of the script sometime after Doris. Hello. My name is Doris was at South, South by Southwest, which I produced um, for you. And I'm pretty sure he was there. Oh, he was at the screening. I think so. And that screening was just so extraordinary. If you recall, yeah. like people and were Kumail rolling was, in yeah, the, in and the Kumail eyes. has a, Small but memorable, great part in the film. Oh, that's right. He's great in the movie, and he's someone I've known for a long time. I was sort of like became friendly with him when he moved to New York. 
to pursue stand-up comedy and I got to know him that way. And then he was a writer on a show that I did at Comedy Central and was actually in that show playing himself. And so he and I go way back. Okay. And I think he's so talented and funny and all those things. amazing. And uh, he sent me the script after Doris and it was like, hey, Emily, his wife, Emily, and I wrote this script. Would you take a look? It was not anything more than that. It wasn't like, you know, will you direct it or will you anything really? It was just, we wrote this script, would love your thoughts, would love your feedback. And Mike, did he tell you that Judd Apatow was producing it? I think so. Okay. I think so. But he had a lot of projects. So it wasn't like, uh-huh. I'm doing this thing with Judd Apatow and right. it's like, like it's on the runway. It's yeah. on the runway ready yeah. to take off. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like that at all. And being the lazy bad friend that I am, I didn't read it. I definitely intended to read it, but it was like, it's hard to read a script. Yeah. It's, it's so it's, hard. It's so hard to read a script. And so, um, but did you have any sense that maybe he wanted you to potentially honestly? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I swear. I really didn't. Okay. Cause he didn't, he didn't ask me. Yeah. He didn't say that. I would have read it much faster if he had. <laughs> it was more just like, hey, we wrote this script. What do you think? Yeah. Maybe he thought it was understood that it was a, would you direct this kind right. of thing? But also um, he but, was just the writer. He wasn't a producer on it, right? Yes, I think he was. But I think now that we're talking through it, you'll we'll sort of get to the interesting part. So at some point I read it. I remember very well reading the script. Also, I was looking for like another project. Yeah. It takes me a really long time to write something myself. Right. And so I was interested in finding a another project to work on that wasn't a script that I was writing on my own. So I had been reading some other scripts and was interested in some other projects. And I read it and I was like, oh my God, this is a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I see it, I picture it, I got it, I got it, I I saw it, you know. Yeah. As oftentimes as early drafts of scripts are, it had a lot of, you know, a bunch of issues with it in terms of like story and da-da-da, but Mm -hmm. like the DNA of it and the kind of soul of it was extremely strong. And it was very funny. Okay. And being someone who loves romantic comedy and being someone who loves also having the opportunity for there to be drama in it, I was like, I had a very strong, I get this movie, I see it, Mm da-da-da, reaction mm -hmm. to it. And then I think that night texted Kumail and said, do you have a director? I loved it. I read it. I'm blown away. Do you have a director? Like, I definitely got very charged up about it immediately. And he said... Basically, that's cool. I'm excited. Again, this is my version. That's okay. my version. <laughs> um, I one don't know what, how he... Yeah. One man's version. Yeah. That's cool. I'm excited. That's really cool. There are a few directors we're talking to. Okay. And I'm not going to name names. Okay. <laughs> Spielberg. Scorsese. <laughs> Agnish Varda. No. Although I have had that happen where it's like, I'm up for a job against like <laughs> that kind of a list. Oh my God, um, Mike, I love you. So he said, we're talking to a couple of the directors, but that's cool. That's interesting. That's exciting. Like he wasn't like, oh my God, yes, you said exactly what I know you say. It was, it was, he was like, cool. That's cool. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. So I was like, I have to direct this movie. I'm the guy. Yeah. It has to be me. I was, I don't know why, but I was very clear in my mind. How often do you feel that way, Mike? Like how often are you like, I know this is something I meant to do. When I read a script that I like, I get a very strong feeling or that there's something about it that I like. I get a very strong feeling. I want to make the movie. And I, I would equate it to the way I think actors feel about a part Uh that they want to get and what I never had as an actor, which is I know how to do this. I'm going to show them that I know how to do this, which audition or the meeting or whatever. And if they don't hire me, A, it's their loss. And B, I have no regrets because I left it all out on the table. Like it's a very, there's a lot of clarity in that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I never felt that way as an actor ever. 
So it was, it's more that kind of a feeling, which is like, I know how to make this movie my way. Mm-hmm. I feel very certain of that. And so that would be true of other things I've done. I read the script and there will be something that connects me to it where I get a very clear idea of like, oh yeah, there's something about this that speaks to me and and that I want to tell this story and blah, blah, blah. So then I think maybe Kumail and I spoke a few times about it and about my vision for it and what I saw and what I felt the script needed and what I thought the movie was and all these different things. And so the next thing was for me to have a meeting and he was excited about it. at that point, I think at a certain point, Kumail did get excited about it. He was in Doris. He'd seen Doris. He liked yeah. Doris. Yeah. And I think he, I'm speaking for him, but I think he felt like Doris was a good comp in a sense and yeah. that it was funny, but it had heart and yeah. it had good, you know, the, the kind of the tone and all that stuff. Yeah. So the next thing was for me to have a meeting with Judd Apatow and Barry Mendel who is Judd's producing partner and has yeah. had done an incredible, incredible has, has produced an incredible, has worked with Wes Anderson and Steven Spielberg and Judd and has sort of produced all these incredible movies with all these amazing filmmakers and have a meeting with them and sort of talk about my vision, right? Like yeah. have the big meeting where they ask me questions and I pitch my take and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, that was uh, Judd and Barry and me and Kumail and Emily Gordon. I believe that was at the Sony lot at the cafe in the Sony lot. Had you known Judd and Barry prior? My memory of this is after South by Southwest, because Trainwreck was at South by Southwest oh. the same year that Doris was at South by oh, Southwest. Right, 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 and right, right. humble brag, Doris won the audience award at South by Southwest. <laughs> so Judd knew about it. Yes. And over train wreck, over train wreck. <laughs> I, I think that's understandable because yeah. train wreck is such a big, yeah, yeah, it was like a big movie. It's like, movie. it yeah, doesn't yeah. feel totally. like it does. I don't even know if it was in yeah, the yeah, running yeah. for Yeah, yeah. But he and I were on an airplane together. Not, you know, we were on a, on an airplane full of people, but we were on the same <laughs> flight back to LA okay. and we were sitting, we were sitting near each other and oh. we exchanged pleasantries oh. and so actually I had now that I now that you mention it, this was when I first met Judd. Okay. Okay. We exchanged okay. pleasantries on the airplane. Okay. And I said, I'd love for you to see. He's he'd heard about the movie. I'd oh yeah, that sounds interesting. I said, I'd love for you to watch it. And I sent him a link. You know, I had him them send him a link. Yeah. And my memory of it is that he watched it. Okay. Okay. Got it. And and I and 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 liked the movie. Okay. Going into that meeting at the Sony lot, I felt a little bit like there was a little bit of wind in my sails because I knew that he'd seen that movie and liked it. And as you know, if you've seen Doris and you like Doris, right, then you know who I am. You get you. Yeah. Then you know who I am yeah. as a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt confident about the meeting because I knew that he'd seen the film and and had liked the film. So, yeah, so we had this lunch and it was very L.A., you know, we were in like the cafe at the Sony lot and there were and they have like a fancy part of that. Like, yeah, they they have like a an actual like fancy part of the of the cafe at the Sony lot where like they have cloth napkins and you need a reservation Uh uh and there's other famous people there. (laughs) It's very like right out of the player. Right, 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 right. We talked about the movie and I talked about what the movie was about to me and all the different themes of the film, you know, religion and identity and American identity and cultural identity and all of that stuff. And, and, and again, too, like this was at a time when, you you know, nine, you know, I, you know, amazingly so much has happened since we made this movie, right? Because Obama was president. Right. At that time, it was a kind of forward-looking movie. It was a sort of like changing of the guard kind of thing. Like, look at the way we're changing as a culture. And it was very much in that feeling of like, this is the direction we're all moving in. Right. And that like the big bad American enemy were terrorists. Right. And so this is like post- Yeah. Bush to Obama. Yeah. And it was like, let's rethink- our attitude towards Muslims. Yes. Let's take a look at how we're treating different religions. 
Americans and da 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 da. And so totally. it was kind of in that. That's what the movie was about at that time. Yeah. I'll jump ahead and then quickly jump back. Yeah. yeah. We premiered the day before He Who Shall Not Be Named was inaugurated. Oh my God. The movie had its Sundance premiere. Oh my God. The day before He Who Shall Not Be Named took office. And so when we were I forgot in, that Mike. When we were at Sundance. I was with you, you remember? By the way, this has got to be like a three-parter because like yeah. we're nowhere near because we're nowhere near Sundance and Sundance was its own. That's a, I know. a full episode I know. right there. I know. We were in Sundance having like the archetypal jackpot Sundance sell-off experience where we were like in a condo yep. on that main strip taking meetings with every single buyer. Yeah. One at a time. You guys premiered so Friday when, night, and, and, I think. Yeah. And so then this was Saturday. This was the next day. There was that huge pink hat protest in the streets of Park Park City happening outside the window while we were selling the movie. Oh, my God. And by the time we got to there, the movie was about something else completely. Right. Right. Which was it was about the country. Lady, I I wasn't talking to you. We don't have to go down this path. We know what's at the end of it. Because of how he looks. There it is. Like saying that all frat boys wearing country club hats and Hawaiian shirts have shrivel up tiny little dicks. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm so sorry about that. I just sort of lost control. I thought it was sexy. Me too. Not like sexy, but like cool sexy. Not like aroused sexy. I'm going to not say sexy anymore. You're jumping ahead, so go back. So you so, you have um, this lunch, you sort of nail the meeting, presumably. Nail the meeting. So there was that, but then also for me, there was an element of it that felt autobiographical, that felt very personal for me, which was the story of making a life choice to become a comedian mm. and the sacrifices of that, mm. the kind of the emotional journey of making the decision as a person to pursue comedy as a career for which there is really no roadmap. Right. So that was another entry point. Yes. And that was something that Judd and Kumail and I could really bond about. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. So good. So I have that meeting. It goes well. I'm the guy. I get the nod. Also at that meeting was like a lot about what I want to do in terms of a rewrite Mm -hmm. and what that would look like. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it was really just about structure really more than anything. It was about really honing a structure for it so that it could feel more like a streamlined three act kind of structure and to really zero in on each different character's arc, Mm -hmm. narrative arc, and tighten up a lot of that stuff and just find the movie. Just really find the movie. And so that was, if memory serves, like the next 
eight months, I think. That's what we did. Kumail and Emily and I predominantly meeting up all the time and at Kumail and Emily's garage. And we had a big chalkboard with lots of index cards on it, you know, the classic thing. And we would rebroke the movie and outlines and that kind of thing. And then they would go off and, and write drafts of the movie. And we went back and forth like that for a long time and then presented that to Judd and Barry. And then I think they were excited about the work we had done. And then kind of like they got more involved and then it became the five of us working on the script. And sort of like at that point, maybe we were like taxiing on the runway at that point, looking at, okay, so now it's uh, early fall. Let's start thinking about maybe this is something we do in the spring, Mm. you know, that kind of thing. Like suddenly like making the movie was in sight. So you had just been like developing and developing it with them and like sharpening it, but there was no financing in place yet. None. No financing. Zero. Mike, I remember you telling me about those sessions and they just felt like such a lesson in development. The script was good, but it clearly needed to take another leap, right? And it was Mm -hmm. just all that work that happens as you're actually leading up that felt like really made it so sharp, or at least in my my memory of your telling of it. Well, the script that I read originally was kind of like brilliant, wonderful, amazing, but a little bit it just needed shape. It yeah. just needed, yeah. it just needed to be harnessed and reined in and kind of focused. Yeah. But all of the like special and magic was there. Yeah. And it was about putting all that special magic inside of a container. Yeah. So that this magic stuff could be the thing that made what the movie was and that you didn't have to get sidetracked by the parts that maybe weren't as well oiled or whatever. So I, again, like I would say like, It was really about making the movie, focusing the movie and kind of making it into a genre movie, a Mm rom-com. In its casing, it was a rom-com. Right. And so we were working with the kind of conventional story beats of a rom-com only with all of these incredibly original different things about it. So you're getting the script tight. You're getting the script tight. This felt like the first movie that Judd had done independently. Or maybe I'm wrong, but- This was not going through a studio. Like you guys had chosen to take this and sort of play the independent game. And that was Judd's call. Yeah. And and it was, yeah, this was going to be a smaller film that was going to go to Sundance. And that was sort of always the plan. Yeah. We're going to make a smaller movie. We're going to go to Sundance with it and go that way. I sort of feel like he had done something like that before. I remember because we had been talking a lot at that point and like, you guys went out to market. You sent it to a lot of like potential financiers. I tried to throw my hat in the ring with and partner with A24. I don't know if you remember that. But yes. but there was, you know, yes. it was like you guys sent it to market and then ultimately Film Nation won the day in my memory mm-hmm. to finance mm-hmm. it because they, they had a relationship with Barry, as I recall. Yeah. I'm prompting in a, a lot of memories. I didn't even make this movie. But once you had the financing in place, had you already started casting or were you guys waiting for that to happen? Do you remember? We were waiting. Okay. I'm pretty sure we got the financing first and then we went about casting the movie. And um, we knew we wanted Ray Romano. We knew we wanted Holly Hunter. Judd knew Holly Hunter a little bit mm-hmm. and then also knew Ray Romano a little bit. And so like, you know, that's the amazing thing. You know, one of many amazing things about Judd Apatow is his ability to you say Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, and then two seconds later, they're both in the movie. And it's right. like, oh my God. Right. We did cast the Emily role. Yeah. And so we met with a bunch of actors on that. And Zoe Kazan, who was, I think, someone that was on people's mind. There was a an excitement factor there about her already. But she also did come in on audition and was incredible. And and yeah, and then we were cast. And then Casting A.D. Bryant and Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. So, like, I just watched uh, the movie again yesterday, Michael, and it's so good. It's so good. It's so authentic and, like, naturalistic. Like, the humor just, like, feels not forced. Yeah. And I just realized you have become, I remember Peter Kajewski described you as this at your last movie premiere, but such a humanist filmmaker where you just allow things to happen. They feel organic. They feel real. And that it really felt like you were laying chocolate out there. So, so good. Thanks, Dan. So tell me about 
the process of making it? Was it very easy? Was it complex? You know, I think we knew we had a really good script. We had worked so hard on the script and I kind of credit Barry Mendel. I don't kind of credit Barry Mendel. I do credit Barry Mendel and Judd. Barry was the sort of more boots on the ground there every day, but them both for like being like, we're not going to make this movie until the script is ready. And as we all know, that doesn't always happen. There's all sorts of other things that go into it, but because they were like, we're not going to make this movie until this movie is ready to get made and the script is done. Yeah. So we had a really good script going in, I felt. Yeah. And that more than anything, I think is like a, if you have a really good script going in, like that's, you know, 90% of the work is right there. But we were very low budget, very low budget movie shooting in New York City in the summer. Mm. And so it was a tight shoot. Every day was, you know, hot and cramped and, you know, racing the clock. And as we all know, like Judd likes to do lots of takes. And so there was a lot of improvising and sort of playing with the scenes and stuff. And Because he was there many days. No, he wasn't actually, but but there he he wasn't, but, but it was sort of like, I was tasked Encouraged. with that. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so Kumail is a big improviser. Ray Romano is an incredible improviser. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of people kind of having fun with their dialogue, but then also wanting to try to make a movie that had a, you know, that looked good and had a, right. a, a certain feel to it. Um, and, you know, Barry is a really takes his work very seriously. And so, you know, he was constantly pushing me and, mm. and, and was very much like glued to my side. Mm. Like watching and, monitor with you. Commenting. Oh, he was uh-huh. literally right next to me every second of that shoot. Okay. Um, okay. And then, you know, the, the actors, I mean, look, you know, working with Holly Hunter, working with Kumail, working yeah. with Zoe, working with Ray, like these are really serious yeah. actors who take their work really seriously. And so, it wasn't like every day was just like a big hoot, you know, yeah, it was like, yeah. it was work. It was yeah. re- for me anyway, it was really hard work, but it was also a great experience. And like, I think felt like we were making a good movie, but my sort of memories of it, if I compare it to other projects was like intense, yeah, hot, mm-hmm. <laughs> cramped, kind of like always, you, you know, serious in a sense. It was, yeah. ser- it was a serious shoot. Even though we had fun, there was a level of seriousness about it. And so you get into the edit. You know, some movies, they take a while to find. You know, we've had movies where it takes a minute to find. Did you feel like this sort of just hung together naturally? Or were you kind of sifting through a lot of the takes and trying to find the beats? And I felt like this one, especially as I said, because we had such a strong script going into it, that it was a little bit of like, the first cut of the movie was pretty good because mm-hmm. the script was really good. And so again, like if you have a really good script going in and then you shoot the script that you wrote faithfully and then you stick then, to it, then stick to it. Yeah. In theory, that first cut could be pretty good and with the yeah. right editor. And I think with big sick, it was, it was long. Uh huh. The big challenge with the big sick was always length and pacing. Yeah especially the second half of it sort of once the Emily character comes out of the coma. Yeah. There's still like an hour of movie left. That was always for me, that was always kind of the problem or the the challenge was like, she comes out of the coma and the movie's like nowhere near over. Right. And what do we do about that? Yeah. Because in a lot of movies, the movie could be over 15 minutes later. Right. Okay. She's alive. Yeah. (laughs) Like, She's okay. They're good. Right. Now they can like make up and everything can be yeah. done now. Yeah, yeah. You can but in, tie it up. But in our movie, there's a whole full other thing that happens, which is that she comes out of the coma and she is like, you've had this big catharsis while I was in the coma, but yes. like, I'm not where you're at. Yeah. And so she has to come to her own. While she's been in the coma, he's had this epiphany about everything. Right. And she's like, that's good for you, but that doesn't do me any good. Right, 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 right. And so we needed to like give that time. Like we couldn't rush that. Yeah. And so I am someone who I think likes a shorter, sweeter Mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. I think that's like my own energy is to like, Doris is a good example of that. Like Doris is like a pretty 
relatively speaking, a short movie. And so once a movie starts getting past an hour and 45 minutes, I start to get pretty squirrely. Yeah. And so I was very concerned about length. And I know that Judd and Barry were less concerned about length and were more wanting it to be whatever length it needed to be, to their credit. Do you remember how long it ended up being? I don't know the running time. I think the final cut is like two hours and five minutes long or something like that. It's not way past two hours. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we were looking at many, many cuts. We were sort of stuck at like two and a half hours long for a while. Like we kind of couldn't figure out a way to get the movie under two and a half hours. That's a long comedy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But obviously we did. And I even was still feeling like, is it too long? Two hours and five minutes. I wanted it to be an hour and 40 minutes and cooler heads prevailed. And then we started testing the movie and audience reaction was just like completely through the roof. Incredible. That was a really big shock for me was to see audiences reaction to the movie. I don't think any of us were prepared for that, for people to feel as strongly about it as they did. I think we knew that it was good. We thought it was great. We were really proud of it, but I don't think we were thinking that it was going to connect the way that it did. Love isn't easy. That's why they called it love. I don't really get that either. I know. I thought I could just start saying something and something small would come out. Had you ever tested a film before, Mike? Yes, we tested Doris. But in a f- sort of friends and family, that was like a proper... No, we did a real No, we did a real test. We did one at um, Sherman Oaks. Once we got distribution... Oh, that's right. That's right. We did Roadside right. Attractions, did one of Doris. And it tested okay. I think it was in the high 70s, and I was yeah. a little surprised by that because I thought it would do better. And then I tested Wet Hot American Summer, and I also tested They Came Together. Oh, right. Right, and, um, right. I don't remember what Wet Hot American Summer was, but I remember that it did not test well at all. Okay. It was very low. Okay. Like low, low, low. Okay. And, okay. And, and it was like horrifying. Oh, it's the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling. Horrifying. But I don't, I, you know, I don't know why I've been there at all your momentous moments, but I actually went with you to one of your tests of. Oh, for, 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 uh, for, for, that's right. Yeah. And it was like, you guys were over the moon. I mean, it was like insane how well it tested. It was insane. Yeah. Well, we, we tested it three times. Mm -hmm. The first time we tested it, it was in the high Mm eighties. And then we made some changes. Like we sort of did the like, okay, let's try all the crazy stuff now version. And I think it maybe dropped a little bit, Mm. but not much. I can't remember, but it was high every time. And then we did our third test was in the 90s. And that's maybe the one that you were at. Yeah, yeah. By the time we got to Sundance, we did kind of know that the movie was like working in front of an audience. Yeah. The audiences were enjoying the film. Yeah. But still so nerve wracking. And so Big Sick was the first time you had taken a movie to Sundance, I think. So I had been there two other times as a producer writer, which is I'd been there with Wet Hot. Okay. And I'd also been there with They Came Together. Both of those movies had Sundance premieres. Okay. 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 This was the first time I'd had a movie there as a director because- the two movies that I directed prior to The Big Sick, both of which are produced by someone named Daniela Taplin, <laughs> one being The Baxter was at Tribeca. Yes. We did not, not at Sundance. And the other was Hello, My Name is Doris, which was at South by Southwest, also not at Sundance. That's right. So this That's was right. my first time being at Sundance with a film that I had directed. That's right. Walk us through, because you did a little bit earlier, but like walk us through the actual premiere and what went down and just the um, experience. I remember being very nervous. It was the big, beautiful theater. It was packed. John Cooper gave a very lovely introduction to the film. Um, as I said, it was the inauguration weekend. And so, so nutty. the emotions were very intense around that time because I think there was a lot of, rightfully so, a lot of deep fear and anxiety about the country and about the direction that we were headed. And being at Sundance was a sort of bittersweet experience because it's this bastion of freedom of expression and it's yep. such a sort of like incredibly progressive thing and then to have the country going so sideways was really excruciating experience 
but I think there was a, an understanding at the time that this movie actually had something important to say. Yes. Yes. Or in that, that. specifically about mm-hmm. that. So it added some extra level of pride around it that we, we actually, yeah, people needed to see this movie and that it was a reminder of our better angels and blah, blah, blah. And the screening, you know, look, I am my own worst critic. And so the screening, I'm going, oh my God, it's just, this is terrible. Like it's not going well. It's too long. It's slow. Like I'm just thinking of all the mistakes I made. Totally. And then I don't even remember like the reaction exactly. Like I don't remember what happened after the movie other than that I knew that the screening was a big success. Okay. And then it was like Cinderella at the ball. Then the whole thing after that became that sort of Sundance experience that any filmmaker who, you know, pays attention to things like film festivals dreams of having where you're Cinderella at the ball and everybody wants to. Yes. Walking around with your head held high and everyone knows, you know, everyone's like heard about Big Sick is the big. Yeah. You know what I mean? The big sale. It was like incredible. I remember I showed up maybe Saturday or Sunday, because you remember I had that movie Patty Cakes. Oh my God. That you came I to cried, see. I cried my eyes out. Oh my God. Well, you came to my premiere after you had sold your movie. And once you had sold it, you were done. You were like, I, I don't have much to do. Can I come with you to your movie? <laughs> yes. Because you had sold the movie by Saturday. It was like a, the biggest yes. sale. And then I just got to have fun for the oh rest of the Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And- I mean, which was like, which was like, unlike, you know, Wet Hot American Summer, which like we didn't sell that until three months after Sundance and we sold it for no money. And totally. it was like the That's opposite. standard. That is standard yeah. Sundance. And you had the big Cinderella thing. And like we had an after party and totally. all the studio, all the people from all the studios were coming up to me and introducing themselves. Yeah. And, hey, and yeah. I was like, oh my God, like, you know me, Danny. Yeah. yeah. You know yeah. how hard I've worked for the, oh you know how, God. you know, you know These how moments, Mikey, the blood, on. sweat and tears, you know? <laughs> I'm like in my mid forties when this is all happening. I'm no, now a spring totally. chicken, you know? And suddenly you're the and bell of the ball. A bell of the ball and yeah. having that experience. And it was pretty great. But oh. I'll also say, I also, I think because of the fact that I paid my dues in a bunch of different ways, I yeah. also took it all with a grain of salt. Right. And like kind this of, can go away as quickly as it's. Yeah. Like, and yeah. like, and, and, and it's also, it's also lightning in a bottle, you know, yeah. like it's also very, there's a random factor. That's right. Because you, me, and Jordana were there together. Jordana Malik, your now partner. I consider you guys my family, certainly my work family. And we just like sort of came together because, you I mean, it was just one of those crazy moments where we were so excited for you and so excited that you were getting like your sort of your due. And then you came with me as I was launching Stay Gold and you sat next to me. Of patty cakes and I was equally nervous because it was the first movie I'd produced with my new company and you whisper in my ear five minutes in is the whole movie as good as this and I was Aww. like uh yeah and you're like it's a masterpiece <laughs> and it's that was such like a, such a moment for me I'll never forget Mike I was bawling my eyes out watching yeah. that movie because yeah. it's so joyful it's so joyful and um, that movie had the same thing where we had like our Asians called it the jammy jam where all the buyers mm-hmm. came in at midnight and just 10 people from Fox Searchlight and Neon and all these pe- places just trying to buy the film. And I, I'd never really had that sort of level of thing happen either. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of a magical experience for us. Magical Sundance. And I mean, then it's like a year, two or two years later or whatever, whatever we sold the big sick for was like nothing. Totally. Like, cause that, you know, we were feeling all good about what we'd sold the movie for. And then it was like, within two seconds, it was like triple, <laughs> totally. you know, totally. Um, it was like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, so then the movie comes out and do you feel like it's going to do very well? Like, did you just have like a not confidence? At all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I never take anything for granted ever because again, it's lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Like every little tiny step of these things is lightning in a bottle. Like Everything is like you do the test screening and you're like, okay, that went well, but how's the Sundance screening going to go? And then, okay, we did the Sundance screening. Well, how's the marketing for the movie going to be? And like, where, what's the appetite for the movie going to be when the movie comes out? And again, like I just went through this with spoiler alert, which tested really well. You know, we did the test screenings. We did the test screenings and the test screenings went great. And the marketing I thought was really good and da, 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 da. And then for whatever reason, it's not the right 
time for it. And so you just can't ever take anything for granted. Yeah. I was excited about it. I think it was a different time. As crazy as it sounds, it was a different time in terms of the movie theater business. That's right. People still went to see movies and a Sundance hit movie yeah. had a kind of trajectory that it could go off of where you make a movie at Sundance that gets a bunch of attention and then the studios kind of know how to launch a movie off of that buzz. You yeah. start the movie in the major cities and then you play it at a few screens and yep. then the movie does well on a few screens and you make a big deal out of that. And then you yeah. go wider and da da da. And that's kind of what we did. Yeah. You know, like the movie had a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance, a lot of excitement about yeah. it because it was sort of like in that category of really funny, but also heartfelt, you know, little miss sunshine yeah. Yeah. kind of and thing. And impactful. It had impact. So it, had, it yeah. could play that mm -hmm. sort of prestige card a little bit too. Like you guys right. were getting awards and stuff like that. Exactly. You exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so there was definitely like excitement about it and buzz about it. And then it, it kind of took off. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. You were definitely the Cinderella story of that year. My, our movie Patty Cakes like made no money and you know, it was a great, it was a great Sundance sale, but you know, it's very rare that like one success begets the next begets right, the next. Right, exactly. So yes, exactly. Like such a special year, Mike. Yeah. Um, and then it ca kind of catches fire. Yeah. You know, and then you, and it's fun to watch that happen. Like when something yeah. kind of catches fire. I mean, yeah. I think it happened with Doris in a smaller That's way. That's right. That's right. You see it and it, it's like a rolling snowball. Yeah. Something catches on to it. All of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this thing's kind of taking on a life of its own now. Do you it's remember the cool. week they like expanded to, I don't know, for our little movie, they had expanded to like seven or 800 theaters. They were like, we're seeing all these things on Facebook. Women named Doris are going to see the movie over and over again. Yeah, like there yeah, were like yeah. older women named Doris who just like yes. kept going to see, hello, my <laughs> name is Doris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was it, just it, like so bizarre that like yeah. women in Florida like mm -hmm. love Doris so much. I know. Um, I know. It's so true. If like, you know, a movie now made the amount of money in the box office that Doris made, our tiny little movie, it would be like a smash hit. Huge hit. Totally. We were a hit on a sort of indie yeah. level. Yeah. But we would be like, you know. <laughs> front page of variety. Front page of variety. <laughs> smash hit movie. So it's sad. kind of depressing in reality. It's actually no. Really I quite I have faith that theaters are coming. Do you? Back. Yeah, I do. do. You? I good, do. good. I do. Good. I'm, I trust. I'm feeling I trust very you. bullish. I'm feeling very. Oh, bullish. I trust you. I trust you. Yeah, yeah. You, Okay, good. Yeah. good. Good, good. This is one of many things you've made, but it was a film that really had impact. And I would say, like in this podcast, we try to choose these films that feel like iconic and will stand the test of time. And when you think back on that time what are your sort of lasting takeaways from the experience of the movie or just anything? I guess I'll go to what I think your question about just what I think the lasting, what the movie's about to yeah. me, that is, it's about what it means to be an American. What is mm -hmm. an American? Mm -hmm. Because I think what's interesting about the movie is the pull, the tension between the old and the new and the yeah. desire to maintain yes. your cultural identity yes. to sort of assimilate, but not lose your cultural identity. And I think, what I'm trying to wrap my head around is that what it means to be an American is changing. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a part of that change. Mm -hmm. And so I think the big sick is, is for me is largely about that. It's about what does an American look like? Yeah. What does it mean? And what, what is the identity of a, of an American? And I think that it's changing in a great way and we should just roll with it. But, I love um, that, Michael. I love oh, that so okay, much. Okay, good, 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 good. I think for me, making movies is like trying to change hearts and minds while entertaining. And to me, The Big Sick does that in spades, you know? I said this about you when I uh, gave you your award mm -hmm. at the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. Film Critics Association. <laughs> Online Gala. Film Critics. <laughs> Gala. Gala. My producer I of gave the you, Decade we Award. I gave you your Lifetime Achievement <laughs> Award, even though you're still very early in your career. I gave you a lifetime achievement award, <laughs> but something that I think is very true about you, but I think also true about me is that I can say with certainty that movies have made a huge impact on me as a person Yeah, and that they've formed so many things about who I am and, you know, including the way I see people, the way I, it, it's opened me up. Yep. It's changed the way I think. Yep. 
and so there's a desire to go, well, if I could do that for someone else, what it yeah. did for me, 100%. that's pretty big. Yeah. I'm like, tearing and I, up. and I feel like you very much feel that way. This podcast is that. Yeah. That's this exactly podcast right. is that. And that's what makes me care about it. That's yeah. what makes me enjoy the work I do. It's like you do it because you fail a lot, right? Yeah. There's a lot of failure in yeah. this industry, but yeah. what keeps you going is this off chance that you actually do something that like makes an impact because it's a real impact. Yeah. It's real. I love you so much. I just want to say that um, I consider you one of my dearest people in my life, but the thing that I always think about you tell great stories and you're so talented, but you're also one of the most hardworking, honest, genuine people in this business. And I think that's why you are as successful as you are. Cause you just like, you do the work and like, this is your passion, but it's also a business. And so I just want you to know that I, I think that about you and you're such an inspiration to me and I love you. Oh, thanks Danny. Feelings are mutual. You're the person who, believed in me and gave me a shot when no one else would. And I love working with you and I love talking to you. All right, duty about, about movies. Yeah. Well, we'll do another one soon. Thank you for doing this. You're the best. You're the best. You're the bestest. You're the um, bestest. All right, Mikey, I'll text you later. Bye. Bye. Just put four slices of cheese on a burger. We can't do that. There's no fun. Who the fuck is this we, man? Who the fuck is this we? It's me and you. We're just people. Fucking listen to me. Fuck this corporate entity. Put four slices of cheese on the fucking burger. Are you from out of town, ma'am? Chicago. Ooh, windy city. (laughs) And what brings you to New York? Here to see someone. And um, have you seen him or her? I mean, I don't, I don't know what your deal is, but yeah, I've seen him. Bexy, how about that episode? How what a love Michael Showalter is, huh? Oh my goodness, I I love him. <laughs> I know you have, you've had a very long relationship with him, and he's just such a great person. And I, um, Hello, My Name is Doris was one of the very first movies I ever worked on. Oh, that's right. And I have such amazing memories from that movie. And I, I honestly, I think it kind of spoiled me for, for the rest of career because I was like, oh my gosh, making movies is awesome. And yeah. everyone that you're going to work with is going to be amazing. And all directors are fantastic just because he was so great in terms of having such a clarity of vision mm-hmm. because he has a very specific voice. Yeah. And it took a while for people to recognize that and catch on. But now that people have seen what his voice is and responded to it, you know, his career has just exploded. It's so wonderful to watch. We sort of grew up in the business together a little bit. And I recently went to the premiere of his movie, Spoiler Alert, which is so, so good. And if you haven't seen it, audience, please, please go try and see it. But the president of the studio, Focus Features, got up and introduced him and said he is one of the most humanist filmmakers that I've ever worked with. And that I had not heard that phrase applied to him. But as soon as he said it, I was like, that's exactly what Michael is. You know, he has such a sense of humanity, but also comedy and the truth of the way people interact. And I think it's like sort of the thing that he carries through all the things he, he directs. And he is just a monster. He is just working so much. He directed all of the dropout and um, just did spoiler alert and has another movie. He just wrapped for Amazon with Anne Hathaway and did the big sick. And obviously I produced hello. My name is Doris. So it's just, it's incredible to watch someone that you love so much just succeed in the way that you know they can. But what else struck you about the interview, Bex? Anything of note? I was actually surprised at his response when you asked him, you know, how would he say what this movie is about and what it what it meant? Because my experience of it was very much a personal relationship story between Kumail and Emily or those those two characters. And he described it as more of a, you know, an exploration of cultural and religious identity and what it means to be an American and how this was kind of changing the perception of Muslims in America. And that was always, I obviously knew that that was there, 
But when I watched it, that that didn't strike me as being um, so so hugely impactful as it as I think it really was in this movie. And so that was that was really cool to hear him talk about that. I think that's so true. And I think it's something that we try to achieve a lot in our movies. You sort of wrap them up in a bow of something that feels really easy and entertaining, right? And that they clearly wrap that movie up in the bow of a of a romantic comedy. Um, but really it was talking about a culture that we hadn't seen on the big screen. And that was really sort of the larger impact of the movie, obviously to Michael, but I think once he mentioned that, I, I completely agreed. So that's really hitting the gold standard when you can sort of change hearts and minds, but also entertain. And they really, really achieved that in that film. Yeah, and I think that's a combination of obviously Michael's direction, um, Kumail and Emily writing and, and guiding the process. And then also I think the influence of Judd Apatow, which... Yeah. I think that was a really interesting um, relationship because Jed Apatow does have this ability for taking comedians and, and putting their stories on the big screen in a way that a lot of other producers might not be able to do. Yeah. And I think the combination of Judd doing that with Kumail and his story and then trusting Michael and his vision to really shape it and mold it and get it on the screen is what really makes this so special and such a perfect mix of that comedy and the drama and the cultural impact. I totally agree. And Judd and Barry Mendel, his partner, I think have done that time and time again. They obviously did that with Amy Schumer and Trainwreck and and this movie, The Big Sick, they did it with Pete Davidson. They've done it with Seth Rogen and Steve Carell. We've talked a lot about Judd and the impact he's had on on comedy, but just writers and filmmakers in general. So he's he's so, so impressive. That duo is such an impressive team. But I also have to say, like when, you know, some of my favorite scenes are of Kumail's family around the dinner table. And those also mm -hmm. felt like equally naturalistic and, and hilarious to me. And I think that that has a lot to do with Showalter's direction um, because those actors were not seasoned comedians like Ray Romano. They were obviously relying on, on the script, but also there must've been a sort of ease in the room that allowed for that like sort of organic family dynamic to develop, which you see attempts at a lot of the time and it doesn't always work. And so uh, it just was, it was a really successful film all around. I, I love it so much. And that was a fun, fun interview. Yeah. I was very grateful for the opportunity to rewatch the film because I kind of, I hadn't seen it in a while and it just reminded me how, how fantastic it is and how talented Michael is. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that was a really fun episode. Shaking the cobwebs off here. We're excited to get going on several more episodes in the coming weeks. So we'll see you next week. Don't forget to follow us at Stay Gold Features and DM us. Let us know any movies you want us to explore and leave reviews. We're loving this so much and uh, we'll catch you next week. Stay gold. Stay gold.